You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come, join our community, or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. My name is Mike Greenwood. There was announcements about groups starting and different ministries starting. If you have any question about getting connected in this church in any way, by all means, reach out to me. Uh, stop me in the hallway. Grab me. I'd be happy to talk with you about that. Um, I'm super excited. Yeah, kids, uh, for Bethel kids, by all means, your opportunity to go. Um, just happy this morning to see these baptisms. It's an awesome time where we can see people publicly proclaim um, you can see that on the walls or on their shirts that we are proclaiming the truth that's, uh, this morning, and that's an awesome way to end this year. And uh, again, it's a Sunday, New Year's Eve. What better way to end our year than to be here worshiping together? Uh, so if you are here, just welcome you this morning and uh, pray that uh, it's a, a good one. Um, this year, though, uh, congratulations, you finished. <laughs> it's another New Year. For many of us, I heard someone call it full this morning. Uh, it's been a busy year for many of us. And tonight, we're going to celebrate the end of a year. Many of us will stay up really late and watch the ball drop. Uh, some of us with little kids might do that in a different time zone to get the kids to bed. And then there's a few of us maybe in the back that are going to, you know, just go to bed because it's a regular night. Um, but either way, it's the end of the year, and we can't help but know that there's these New Year's resolutions that come about. And it's an opportunity where we reflect on things and we come back to it. Um, we see it on TV, maybe in the morning radio, on the ride into work. You hear about these resolutions. The gym has probably been full for the last two weeks for those who've been there and maybe for the next two because we know these resolutions don't always last. So as we think about this morning, all these New Year's resolutions are good things, but a lot of times we want to say, like, I will do better. I'm going to lose a few pounds. I'm going to read a few books. I want something better for myself this year. And that's great. Many of these resolutions are good things, and they're, they're maybe honorable things for us, but the danger there is that big capital I that we put in all of those statements. They can be a very self-centered thing. So as uh, this sermon this morning won't be on New Year's resolutions, so you got that out of it. But as we focus on this, I don't want to focus on and commit to I will statements this year. I want to talk about something called confession. And really, this is something I want us to dwell on. On the cross, Jesus said it was finished. And so I'd rather focus on that this year then focus on something that I'm going to try to do better. So we're going to look at confession this morning. And I'm going to say that confession is not a word we use in our everyday vocabulary. Unless you're a cop or a lawyer, you don't really say confession. Or maybe you like, like, true, like true crime dramas or juicy dramas and books. Confession isn't something that we use for ourselves. I call that when I'm teaching kids a Sunday school word. And by that, what I mean is we know what confession is but we don't really use it and apply it to ourselves. And we use it in negative context a lot of time. This morning, I hope to say when we talk about that word confession, that we think a little more about it and let it really saturate us. So avoiding resolutions this morning, again, Jesus said it is finished, and we want to lean into that this morning as we approach our text. Our main idea this morning is going to be to experience all that God has for you. You must understand and confess your sin. So to experience all that God has for you, you must understand and confess your sin. Our uh, passage this morning is Psalm 32. 
Um, and we're all familiar with the Psalms. Psalms are the songs of the Jewish people. It's the hymnal of the Old Testament. And so as I read this Psalm to you today, I want you to understand that it is a piece of poetry or a piece of music, and there's a structure to it. So you're going to see concepts at the beginning and at the end that parallel each other. And those concepts work their way in towards the middle to where we're getting to the point. And if you look down at your Bible, you'll see in the psalm that it's called the Maskil of David. And what that means is it's a, it's, a, it's a song of instruction. David is trying to teach us something. So we're going to try to pull that out of that today. So if you have your Bibles, by all means, open it up or you know, get it on your phone. Uh, it is page 462 in the Bible that's in front of you if you're visiting us this morning. Uh, so join me as I read Psalm 32, a Maskil of David. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. As God's word from King David. Uh, bow with me as we just uh, open up our service. Father God, um, Lord, you want to teach us something this morning. Help us to have expectation as we come to your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that you keep us free from error, Lord. But in even this passage, you say, uh, do not be a mule or a horse. Lord, I pray that we can have soft hearts to hear the message that you would have for us. Uh, so we ask that you bless this time this morning. We thank you so much for those who proclaimed you this morning. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our passage here, Look down at Psalm 32, we see David has painted a picture for us this morning. And so with our idea to understand what God has for us, what sin is, and then how that unconfessed sin robs us of all the positive experiences we see in this passage, I really feel like we need to understand where David is coming from. So in verses 3 and 4, we see David paints this picture for us of both physical and spiritual pain. Now it's important to note that Sin doesn't always directly equal to some kind of physical judgment, but it's a possibility. And so we don't know if that's what's going on here, or we don't know if David's just depressed physical state, his spiritual state of mind is causing these physical manifestations. But it doesn't matter. The outcome would be the same either way. So as we read this passage, we want to ask, what sins, in the plural here, is David lamenting? And there's a lot in David's life uh, He's a renaissance man. There's a lot written about King David in Scripture. He was a shepherd, a warrior, a musician, a poet, and ultimately a king. In Acts 13, we see that he was classified as a man after God's own heart. 
And today he wants to teach us something. And now there's a lot into the story of David's rise to the throne, but we're going to land in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and I'm going to paraphrase that for us. Um, that's just a few, few paragraphs that tells a lot in the story. And so whenever there's a really concise, you know, fast set of paragraphs, there's a lot for us to kind of look into. Um, but we see David now who's an established king. He's on the throne, and we see now that David has become comfortable in his position and possibly even lazy. And uh, what I'm saying by that is David, David was lazy in the throne in his role as the king, but he was also lazy through his silence in his relationship with the Lord. Israel had wanted a courageous king, and what we see here in the passage of 2 Samuel is that it tells us right away that the men went out to war and David stayed behind. And the context we need to remember is Israel had wanted a courageous king to represent them and to fight with them, and now he's just back at home as a fat cat politician not doing his job. He's not meeting that expectation. And if we know the story of David, we know the story of David and Bathsheba, and we know what happens next. David is peeking in on his neighbor's wife as she bathes. And you just read that, but you need to stop and think about it. Back then, people bathed at appointed times and appointed places. They didn't have warm plumbing at home. Um, so David knew, what we have to imply from that is David knew where he was looking. Think about that. David was peeking in where he knew he, should, he shouldn't have looked. He allowed that spark of lust to kindle into flame, and he ends up taking and laying with Bathsheba, and he thought he could get away with it. He was smug enough. He's the king. He thought he could get away with it. But there's a problem, and that's another thing from the passage we can see there. Bathsheba is bathing. Most people think it's because she was ritually cleansing herself after her menstrual cycle. And so what does that mean? That means now that She's pregnant. That means a month or so has gone by. There has been a lot of time that has passed. And now David's neighbor, his officer, Uriah, his wife is pregnant. David then plans for a really slick cover-up. He is the king, so he can ask for anything he wants. He asks for Uriah to come back from the battlefield with the hopes that he would lay with his wife and cover up the sin. But Uriah, what we see, is an honorable man. He acts very honorably. And matter of fact, he acts in the way that we would expect David to act. If you think about David's story, David, David should have acted how Uriah did. So now David has to go deeper and deeper into his sin. And he sends Uriah back to the battlefield with his own death sentence in a note to the general there. And he's put out in the front lines and left to die. So David... David's plan works. Now there's more time that has to expire as the messenger comes back to tell David. And in this story, all this time passes, and we see David has time to think on his sins, to think of the excuses he makes for them, to think about the justifications in his head that he makes for his sins, time to convince himself that the path he is on is good. There's also time for him to feel anxious guilt of doing something he knows he shouldn't have done. And when Uriah dies, see, David's plan, in one sense, has worked. But the knowledge of his sin remains. The guilt of his sin remains. And then he has to tell himself he's doing the right thing, and he marries Bathsheba. Everything's worked according to David's plan at this point. But I can't help but think that every day when he wakes up and turns over and sees Bathsheba, he sees Uriah's wife. He watches a baby grow in her belly, all as a reminder of how that baby was conceived in sin. And during all this time in the psalm, he tells us, he said nothing to God. 
And what we can infer from that is the only person David was taking counsel from was himself. And I can identify with times like that. And in the story, we see that Nathan the prophet comes out, and he calls David out for his sin. David, the mighty king, who now is in his own house being called out, he could have had this prophet jailed or killed. But I believe from this passage that over this time that has passed, David buckles under the weight of his guilt. He calls it a heaviness in verse 4. And he speaks a confession of truth, and it's important for us to hear how he says it. In verse 13 of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. His sins didn't need to be listed out. Nathan took care of most of that for him. But it's David's response where we can understand his mindset before and after his confession. And that brings us to our first point this morning. Our unconfessed sin reveals a small view of God and a high view of self. If you take this psalm and you overlay it with 2 Samuel, we can, again, see a little glimpse of David's heart. And throughout all this temptation with Bathsheba, he could have prayed. He could have prayed for strength to overcome it. He could have walked away from the physical contact. Even in his failure with Bathsheba, he could have brought those failures before the Lord, but he kept silent. So I want us, as we think of David in this psalm, to think of the reality of his experience. It says he was wasting away, groaning, sapped of his strength, and again, that heaviness from the Lord. For me, this reminds me of times when I have sleepless nights, and I know I'm not the only one that has these. Times when I've wronged someone, times when I've cut a corner somewhere that I shouldn't have. Sleepless nights where I wallow in guilt over something that I've done or worries about what I should have done. Times when I'm blinded by anger and resentment and I can't sleep. And most nights for me like this, I know that I, like David, have times where I have not brought anything before the Lord. I keep going through how I am going to fix the issue. And that's what reveals that high view of self that we all can have. So I'm going to ask you this morning, put yourself in David's shoes, right? Put yourself in the role of a king. I think we have it easier than David. If you're the king, and again, David at this point in the story is an established king, I think it's very easy if you're the king to feel self-sufficient and in control. Everyone bows down to you when you come in, and you can even start to believe all the hype about yourself. But as I read this, I don't think you need to be a king to realize that you can become your own echo chamber. And so like David, when we fall into these sins, we can easily see ourselves as part of the solution to the problem. Right? We devise our own plans to fix these issues. We justify our own actions. But I can't help but think David should never have forgotten who put him on the throne. David, who never should have forgotten who saved him from the wild beasts when he was a shepherd, and in whose name he defeated Goliath. David should never have forgotten. And so how hard, you know, how much is it for us to forget? How easy is it for us to forget? So we must realize that when we place ourselves in control like this, the problem we have here is that we start to shut God out. And so, like, why do we do that? Think about why do we do that? Why do, what does that say about our devotion to God, our dependence on God? What this problem becomes is we, don't, we realize that we think God isn't able to fix anything for us. We try to do it ourselves. And like David, we like to dig our holes deeper and deeper. And so what we see in this passage, what David is trying to instruct us here really is to widen and grow our view of God. And we must come hypersensitively, we must come to learn that when we try to justify our own actions, make excuses, when we find ourselves devising plans, or even sometimes even saying, and I know, saying things to ourselves like, I deserve this or I deserve that, 
Most of the time, all these things are lies. And they're lies in the face of the fact that we have a God who forgives. And so we see the spiritual and physical suffering David describes here. And I ask, especially with that heaviness, can you identify with that? Can you think of times that you've had that? And that kind of brings us into our second point this morning where I'm going to say to truly confess sin, we must understand it. We must understand a very specific context of our sin. In the passage we have today, the dialogue is between David and the Lord. And we see it here in Second uh, Samuel, David said, I sin. He says that he cries out that his sin was against the Lord. And then in another passage, Psalm 51 Another passage similar or parallel to Psalm 32, David says it like this. He says, against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. From this passage, what we need to recognize again is the context of our sin, who it's against. Now, there are worldly considerations and impacts for our sin, Nathan, Bathsheba, the generals, all these people. But what we must come to understand is our sin is a direct offense against our God, against our creator, And David understood the gravity of this. If you look down in verse 5 of our passage this morning, David described this with three different words. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. He says, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Sin, iniquity, and transgression. David expertly lays this all out. Sin, if you look at the Hebrew word, it's to miss the mark. It's an offense. If you were to do a little uh, parallel study of that word, you'll find you know, places like Sodom and Gomorrah where this word is referenced. That's where David's mind is at. Iniquity speaks to his guilt. And it's not the guilt that David feels. It's the fact that David is guilty. The last word, transgression, speaks to crime or rebellion. And these are the words that David is describing his own sin against his creator. So for us in the church this morning... Thousands of years later, we have another revelatory layer, right? We have the New Testament. What I want us to recognize and acknowledge this morning is that we should way better understand the cost of our sin in light of all this. The cost of our sin being extremely high. Our God and creator, the sustainer of our universe, humbled himself, came down in human form to become a sacrifice for us. And so as we come to understand that our sin is something we do that offends and violates God's law and order... We're going to clearly see that there is not a graduation of sin. There are no little sins or big sin when it comes to our guilt before God. Our sins stain us. And it's kind of like the idea of that white tablecloth with the drop of red wine. It doesn't come out. We are stained. There is no room for us to justify those little things we know that are sins. Because we have to understand the cost of laundering that white tablecloth is so high. And we need to understand the gravity and the seriousness which God takes that. So even to acknowledge that before you now, I'm not free of sin in my life. And it's humbling to say that I need to recognize the cost of that. And when I think of this, I want us to think of that cross that we have as a constant reminder that the sinless son of God, he became sin and God poured out his wrath on him for us. The judgment and wrath that we deserve. Before we can truly confess and understand this brokenness, we need to understand what it is to have our sins covered. And when we hear that idea in verse 1 here where it talks about sins being covered, if we're believers here in the room this morning, we should think of a number of things from the Bible. I think of three. The first one I think is of our, our fathers, Adam, father and mother, Adam and Eve, in the garden. They sinned against the Lord, and what did God have to do for them in the end? 
We see that there are animals that were slaughtered and skins that covered them. That's one picture God gave us. And as the Bible narrative moves forward, we get Moses and the law, and we get the sacrificial system. And in that temple, there was a constant flow of blood that was there to cover the sins of the people. And then ultimately, we see the picture of Christ who came as a once-for-all sacrifice for us, a final sacrifice for us. And he covered us. And that's where we can start to understand the gospel this morning. And if you're a believer this morning, it's essential for you. And if you're an unbeliever this morning, it's essential for you as well. And we'll talk about it. The thing we see with confession is that Paul lays this out in Romans for us. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So if you're a brother or sister in Christ this morning, this is what we proclaim. We have this message from Paul here. It doesn't say, go do a list of things to be justified before God. He says, confess and believe. And so we need to be able to rest in the implications of this, the grace and salvation of this, that we have a God who has finished his work and he is faithful to forgive. And we also, as believers, must understand that our sin deserves judgment. And we have a great need for salvation that only God was able to fill. If you're here visiting with us this morning and you are not a believer in Jesus and you have not put your faith in him, the Bible also tells us something about confession in this. He says that everyone will confess Jesus. Again, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 says this, Starting in verse 8, that God of the universe, speaking of Jesus, he says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if you haven't put your faith in Christ today, as we read this passage, I want you to understand you face the question of whether or not this passage applies to you. In the beginning of the passage, David talks about those who are blessed with their sins covered, and at the end he talks about the righteous. That is for the believer in Christ. And if you have not put your faith in him today, you can know that Jesus died and rose again for you. He did it for you. He did that for me. He did that for everyone in this room. And if you place your faith in him and can confess that he is Lord, like you saw others do this morning, you can be saved from the judgment of a just and holy God. Because Paul told us every knee will bow. And that is the good news, that we can be spared that wrath, that judgment of God, and that guilt that we have before him can be taken away. This passage, the blessing of this passage can be yours. Your sins can be forgiven if you can place your faith in Jesus. And you can do that today knowing that you have to face your God, you can do that having your sins covered by Jesus and receive the blessings of this passage. And if, you, if this message makes any sense to you, I would encourage you to bow your head right now, pray, cry out to him, acknowledge that your sin is before him. Understand that sin and confess it before God because what we're going to find out is he is faithful to forgive. Once we know that, we can really start to get to the center of our passage this morning and see the joy of our passage. Right? We see that God is not only faithful to forgive, but that he also wants to teach us and become our rest. 
In our passage, we see salvation language here, forgiveness, righteousness, the removal of iniquity, deliverance. And in the center of the passage, as you read it, you see that David has confessed his sin. And in verse 4, that heavy weight, it's lifted. Amazing forgiveness is given to him in verse 5, and David's guilt is forgiven. And again, it's not just his feeling of guilt. It's that the judgment is gone. And we see now in verse 7, as he's responding to this, David can respond in joy, saying to the Lord, you are my hiding place. He says, you protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Then you get to verse 8, which is the sweetest part of this passage for me. This is in verse 8, if you look at it, this is where God replies to David. He says, and this is from the Lord to David, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in a way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. This is the language of a loving father. If you're a dad here today, this is the language. This is, this is for you. This is how you should be with your kids. Loving dad. This is also a picture of the gospel. And David described that in verse 4, that there was that heaviness from the Lord. And what we see from that is unconfessed sin is a heavy burden. And it's not just a burden. As we talk about the gospel, this is a foundational issue in our justification, being saved, or our sanctification, growing in, in our salvation. If you're an unbeliever this morning, it's an issue of heaven or hell. It's an issue of judgment or innocence before God. It's a, it's a guiltiness that we have under God's law. If you're a believer this morning, this applies to you. It's also a burden to you if you have unconfessed sin. It will rob you of the peace of Christ and inhibit your growth. It'll inhibit your growth in like your maturity as you grow in the gospel. It will inhibit your growth in godliness as you continue to sin. There's a pastor, author, theologian by the name, a man named of uh, Miles Stanford. Long passed away, but uh, he tells us, if we fail at reaching the higher stages, and what he means by that is the maturity, if we fail to reach maturity in the Christian life, it's because we get these basic facts of the gospel wrong. The basic truth of the significance of our sin, that they're an offense against God, and the power and faithfulness of God to forgive those sins. I started out this morning multiple times saying, it is finished. That was the words of Christ. And Stanford points out that if we don't have a solid understanding of these basic facts, our foundation will be askew. And when we start to build, everything will be crooked. He describes this for the Christian, trying to do it on their own as a life of frustration and failure. And that is a heavy burden. And to illustrate that burden, I, I want to think about what it was like to be a kid again. So think back to the time when you were a little guy or gal and you broke something. You knocked something off a table, you spilled something bad. You, you, we, we see a lot of different things on that, but no one saw you do it. And you have to think about that time between when you caused that damage and when your parents were coming home or when grandma was coming home. You had two options or two outcomes that you have to think about there. Nothing was going to happen until someone came home and you had to sit there in that anxiety and you had to make excuses and make up your story. All that anxiety waiting for the hammer to drop. Or the next stage of that would be when that person came home, mom and dad came home and they had to ask you and they confronted you on what happened. I'll ask you this morning to think about the sheer terror you felt as a kid. 
when you, when, you know, you said what happened. And you have two options there. You have the opportunity to confess your sin and deal with the outcome or to lie. And we know what it's like when the kid lies to a parent who's looking at the guilty party right there. And, you know, with mud on their face, so to speak. It's just pure terror, though, when we get asked and confronted to confess our sins. And that terror is not what we see in this passage. We see David speak of protection. He speaks of joy. He speaks of songs of deliverance. The question for us is, can we trust in that? Or are we like the kid who's trying to make up our own excuses and prepare for the worst? Can we let go of the control we try to seek in that? Can we walk like this daily? And I have to ask, can we have humility to do this? Because the heavy burden of this unconfessed sin is not part of the experience we are to have with Jesus Christ as believers. Jesus himself in Matthew 11 proclaimed this. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest, he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you look at Jesus' words there and look at verse 8 in our psalm, you will see that they parallel each other. Jesus here, he's saying he wants us to rest in him. He wants us to learn from him. That language of a loving father, he's calling us to that. So what do we do with it? I see two options as we close this morning, as we seek to apply this passage and walk, especially in the light of a new year. We need to be in the regular habit of confessing our sins to God. And we need to be in that habit, in that context of our sin being against him. My question to you, it's reflective, is when was the last time in faith you approached the God of prayers in that kind of confession? In verse 6 of our passage, David instructs us to offer these prayers of confession. And he says to do this in a time when God may be found. And he's applying here that if we're doing this, when the rush and the mess of the world comes upon us, he says that it's not going to reach you. But we have to be doing these things. Think of what it would be like to try to be confessing these sins at the peak of those moments. David's telling us to learn from God here. And he's saying, be in the habit and confess to him before that storm builds up. What does that look like? How do you really apply that? And I go back to David again, um, Psalm 139. He, he gives us a start to this. In Psalm 139, verse 23, he says to the Lord in prayer, he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in ways everlasting. We see this component of being led. We see this component of him coming out to God and not being silent. He's, bring, he's being active to God and asking for this prayer. And that's a start for us. We can ask God to show us our sin. We can listen to him in his word as he reveals specific areas of our lives. And as we see these very specific areas of our lives, these specific sins in our lives, we should try to then remember the cost that God took and incurred to forgive those sins. And in faith, the important line here is in faith we need to trust that we have a God who forgives. First John is helpful in this. And I'm tempted to just read verse 9, but I would be remiss if I didn't read verse 8. Verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I don't want to live a life where I'm self-deceiving. I want to live a life of that Psalm 139 where I'm examining myself before the Lord for sin. But in verse 9, once we know and acknowledge this sin, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And if God is faithful to forgive as we confess, we have to remember another point. This is an act of faith. John Calvin tells us, and he's our Reformation, you know, hundreds of years ago, he tells us that we can learn from this, that David obtained his forgiveness not through the act of confession, but through faith. He has faith in the Lord in that confession. So what we're saying this morning is in faith we should be able to point to regular, regular times of confession before God. Our second point this morning that we need to take away as a church body is that we are to be confessing our sins to each other. I'm going to read a passage to you from James where we can see a call to that. James 5, starting in verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And in verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. And I read all that because what we see here is a picture of the church. As a church family here, we're to bring our sufferings, our sickness, and even our transgressions to each other. This is a blessing of God that I don't think we always want to receive. Is that your experience here at Bethel? Are you blessed through that? I see that act of confession woven into the church through the new commandment God gave us. Jesus told us that we are to love one another. I think this can be part of it. We're also told to build each other up, to encourage each other. I think confession plays a major role in that. I can share my experience here at Bethel where I've had the opportunity to not just to speak here, but to speak in men's studies, men's groups, or breakfasts, and to be able to stand up and be able to confess my past sin, but also to confess where I struggle. And that's changed things for me here. It's changed my relationships with many of the men here. That's brought accountability for all sorts of things with other people here, and it's a two-way street. Is that your experience here at Bethel? So as we go this morning from this gathering... We want to experience all that God has for us, all those positive things we see here in Psalm 32. But we have seen this morning that as believers, we must understand our sin and we must confess it. Both sides of that equation are important. We have this problem, again, we saw this morning, the unconfessed sin reveals that danger of a small view of God and a high view of self. But we have a hope here, right, that our God is just and faithful to forgive and as we walk by faith through that truth of God's forgiveness, we can rest and learn from God all that he has for us. And we do that so as the storms of this world come rushing up against us, we can rest in Christ, that easy burden he has, knowing that no matter what the world throws at us, Jesus' work is finished. Just join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, things like confession are hard uh, to to just be humble and to acknowledge our sin before you. Um, but Lord, I, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we can experience that heavy burden in our lives lifted. Lord, I pray that you help us walk from here and be in communion with you to examine ourselves, Lord, and to uh, be all about what you would have for us, Lord, especially with this coming new year. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time this morning. Amen.